G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. This is 2020 on Vision. And a conversation coming over this next hour. We'll get into some, maybe some deep waters. Uh, It'll be perhaps a conversation that you might be a little bit cautious about little ears that might be around, uh, but you might also be able to contribute to the direction of our conversation today because as we talk about personal stories, sometimes your personal story may well be in alignment with our special guest. You might have heard that wise saying, we can't change where we've been, but we certainly can change where we're going. Well, an attempt today to touch on some of those really important issues, drawing attention to restoration from childhood abuse and trauma. Our special guest today for decades has been a listening ear for survivors of the trauma from childhood sexual abuse. Now she's told her own story of sexual abuse, of loss, of grief, and taking readers on a journey to healing inspired by her faith in Christ. Nikki Rucci has served alongside her husband as a pastor, leader, and communicator for more than three decades. Her new book is called Invisible Scars, My Story of Restoration from Childhood Abuse and Trauma. Nikki and her husband Gary have served in leadership roles both in Great Britain and here in Australia, and together today they lead River City Church at The Gap in Brisbane. Nikki, a special welcome along to 2020. Thank you so much. This is such a privilege. I really am so happy to be here this morning. And really attracted to a conversation like this because you've told your own story. Now, there's a certain level of courage that it takes to do that. And uh, there's certainly, you know, some people talk about having a cathartic uh, experience of when I've written down my story, it's also a certain sense of healing. So with your book is, I mean, is that true? Uh, Having finally got to a, I mean, it's a big project writing a book, but getting a book out, is that is there a certain sense of relief that it's there and now everyone can see your heart? Absolutely. It was, it's like you're, you're, you're carrying this baby, you're pregnant with this incredible story, this baby, and then finally you give birth to it. And that's how I felt actually writing my story. So I tried to write my story about 15, 20 years ago. I stopped and started and I didn't feel... Every time I stopped, every time I started, I felt, you know, it just didn't seem right. It just didn't seem that I could keep writing what I'd been through. And purely because there was still a lot of, uh, of my family dynamics and situations and circumstances taking place at the time. And this year, I just, I, I had this, it was like God just came in and said, right, it is time you got your story out. I had been talking about it, um, you know, publicly, but I'd never written it down. And so, I started writing my story and um, and once I got it out and it's published, I'm going, oh my goodness, what a relief. <laughs> it's out. <laughs> Is it a little bit like, you know, dredging the bottom of a river and there's sludge down at the bottom? Uh, in some sense, you could just let the river roll, but unless you deal with that sludge, you're always going to have a murkiness. How do you think about, uh, you know, going into uh, all of those old memories and the possibility of even bringing a hurtfulness to some family members who might know the people that you're talking about. How do you think of, you know, dredging the bottom of the river? Yes, that's right. So that was um, part of the reason why I actually didn't get it going in the first place. But also I wasn't ready. Um, I I was still on my healing journey and there were still things that would come up as I, you know, as I lived my daily life things would just come up and things would be triggered in my life that I needed to I needed I still needed healing and so writing my story brought up a lot of things and it I cried a lot 
I cried a lot writing out my story. I cried a lot as I remembered um, graphic illustrations of what took place in my life. Um, one of the people that I really wanted um, to the green light, I could say, was my mum. I had to tell my mum that I was writing my story about what happened to me as a child. And my mum obviously was a big part of what took place. And so when I finished my manuscript, I sent it to her and I said, I want you to, I want you to tell me what you don't want in there and I want you to tell me if it's okay, otherwise I won't keep going. And she read it. She read it within about a day or so. She just said she just couldn't put it down. And she called me and she was sobbing on the phone, literally sobbing. More, the, my, and she said these words, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. Yes, and those sorts of expressions are going to come out when people read your story and family members who may have been there and didn't do what they ought to have done at the time. But I know you do say that dysfunction breeds dysfunction and both your parents were quite dysfunctional and they had their own heritage of dysfunction to deal with as well uh, when we yes. when we think of that dysfunction breeding dysfunction uh, this is this is a common story isn't it yes it is it's very common unique my i, I think my my story is unique to me but it's it's so common in our communities today and if we can if we can stop some of the the dysfunctional ways from reoccurring down the generations, then we're doing we're doing something in our society. We're doing a good a good thing for people in in general. Yeah. Let me ask you about being a Christian and thinking through these issues of the past. I know that there'll be some who would be thinking, "Oh well, you are a Christian and you say a prayer, and that flicks a switch, and everything's all right." Um, that's not the case, is it? No. So I didn't grow up as a Christian. Um, my father an alcoholic and my mother trying to find love in all the wrong places. And so there, there was a lot of things. They were perpetuating some harmful things to us. And so I became a Christian and, and I could see God in my life all the way through my childhood and in my teenage years. And um, my husband wasn't a Christian as, uh, either. So we got together when we were teenagers and we were brought to Christ by a lady. One, my husband's boss at the time, his wife, was a born-again Christian, and she started to talk to us about Jesus. And so she literally took us to church that following Sunday that she was giving us the whole gospel message of Christ and why we need Jesus in our life. And I remember feeling a bit uncomfortable in, in this church service, and it was because God was stirring my heart. The people around me were absolutely beautiful. They were fantastic. They were so so friendly and so loving. Um, but it was me. I didn't think that God could love me. And the moment I stepped into a personal relationship with Jesus, did things get easier? No. But I do believe that God took my hand and walked me through every process of my healing journey. And he brought people across my path to help me do that. And that point where you had that encounter with Christ, um, you were sharing about your boss's wife, and uh, that was at a workplace barbecue. Uh, Gary, your husband, (laughs) got the invitation. I think you were his date. That's right. And and the boss himself, not a Christian, but the boss's wife, well, she's... She's obviously, you know, gifted evangelist, and you know she, yeah. you know, sort of sees a target on your head. I'm going to be telling her about, you know, what it can be to have a new life in Christ. So this was the trigger of an encounter with God, and and then you start to work through these things not on your own, but with God at your side. That's right, and I believe God. I mean, she was amazing and loving and kind, but God brought other people across my path to help me walk through my healing journey. And one lady in particular was a Tongan woman. And she said to me one day, I was 18 years of age, she came up to me at church and she said, Nicola, because my name Nicola, everyone calls me Nikki, she said, Nicola, I want to teach you how to pray. And I said, oh, okay. And she goes, no, I want to teach you how to pray. And once a week, 
I would get together with this lady with my Bible. I wasn't allowed to turn up at her house without my Bible, with my Bible, and we would pray through the scriptures. And she taught me, and I didn't, I didn't pray quietly. She taught me how to pray through the scriptures to God. And that was, that was part of my healing journey as well. And she would have been one of those people who were a listening ear, uh, waiting for and looking for an opportunity to, in some ways, be involved in your life, and we'd call it discipleship. She was That's interested right. in your spiritual development. And since then, over the years, and we're talking a 30-year ministry career now, you have been yes. a listening ear and you've got your eye out for people in your own congregation who are teetering on the edge and grappling with these issues and some of the things that have happened in their past. Absolutely. And I'm a big, I'm a big believer God can restore your soul. He is the restorer of broken lives. He comes in and he restores and he uses people to do that. And when we talk restoration here, um, because we said it's not just say a prayer, she'll be right, uh, everything changes. This restoration of a soul, uh, you like to think of that as uh, the, the years being restored, those things that have been robbed from you, uh, shame and guilt, those things are like thieves, you describe them as. That's right. And so when we talk about what it's like to be on the other side of a recovery journey, it's this restoration of a level of wholeness. Absolutely. And that's where God comes in. He restores us completely whole. And it's not, it's not, he doesn't restore us to just sit there and do nothing about our life either. He restores us so we can help others be restored. He heals us so we can help others be healed. He he does that so that he can get he can get into the lives of and love of other people. And I know you are very, very upfront to say you're not a professional counsellor, you're not a psychologist, but you've got a story. And your story is yes. that you have come through this and you've recognized the power of God in being able to deliver from those things that eat you up on the inside. Um, not being a professional counsellor, uh, this is something that a lot of people might not think of, is that you know professional counsellors have been around for some decades now, but uh, the power of God in restoration and wholeness has been around thousands of years. Absolutely. And I am a big advocate. If you need a counsellor, then you must see one. If you need to see a psychologist or a psychiatrist, Absolutely, you need to see one because sometimes some people, well, I can only take someone th so far and then I say, and you need to go and see this person because she will be able to take you to the next step. But definitely, and I do believe that God gives us all these people to help us restore. And I guess if you can find one who has that uh, spiritual dimension of absolutely. being a believer themselves, a yes. follower of Christ and the ability to apply those things that we understand, like uh, the forgiveness focus and uh, knowing that Jesus has gone before us and uh, uh, has experienced so much of the grief and loss himself. Hey, um, let's talk about the fact that there is a rampant uh, sexual abuse that's still going on in Australia. Uh, people think that since things died down after all of that controversy over the last decade or two, that somehow or other it's gone away. It hasn't, has it? It hasn't. One in three girls are sexually abused every day in our, in our country and one in six boys, they say today. And it is, it is rampant, it is evil and it, what happens is that because it is so, it, it, it holds on to secrets. We don't want to tell people what we've gone through. So it keeps us locked up in our shame, our guilt and our condemnation. And there are people who don't know how to deal with it. Some of them turn up at church yes. and they might be hopeful that they're going to find someone just like you uh, because you've got a an eye out and an ear out to be a listening ear when these things are happening. But uh, what, what are your thoughts here? For that person who has been trying to deal with this on their own, uh, maybe they've gone and done some psychological counselling, but they've never turned up at church, never exposed themselves uh, to you know, being at a prayer line where someone like the pastor might come and mm. say a prayer for you and might not ask all the details, but 
you know, people who've never thought of doing that, what's the value of actually connecting in church? I think so, I think it's a safe place. I would hope I would hope that most churches, the churches out there, are a safe place for someone to be able to um, share their story. Um, churches need to be a listening ear for them to be heard um, and to understand what they're going through. But also taking that step of vulnerability and, and talking about what they have experienced with their trauma or abuse is important to be safe. They need to. They need a place where they are safe, and I. And that's where I would hope and pray that the churches around them and the w- church they walk into would be a safe place. Well, we're going to take a very short break, and we're going to continue our conversation. Our special guest is Nikki Rucci. Uh, Nikki is a pastor, a leader, a communicator, and for more than three decades, she has written a new book. It's called Invisible Scars. My story of restoration from childhood abuse and trauma. Nikki, take us into your story here, what you're comfortable to share, because there'll be listeners saying, well, oh, how bad was that what she was facing? Uh, give us a little insight here. Yes, so I grew up in a, in a home, my father an alcoholic, and my mother trying to find love in all the wrong places. And my mum did the best job she knew how at the time. She was under extreme uh, stress of my father's uh, he was an angry drunk um, and he was abusive um, and but mum was mum had multiple partners and they were the multiple partners she had were the men that abused me and my little sister at the time and my sister was still in nappies um, so there was there's this there so one of the men in particular I talk about in my book um, he was ne- he wasn't a known pedophile but he he was uh, he was an evil man, and he did things to me that he he did things to my sister that he didn't do to me, and so I carried that for a long time. And because of the, the dynamics in my home, I had to raise my brother and my sister at such a young age. So I would get them their dinner, I would clothe them, I would I would bath them, um, and I did that f- all my life and looked after them. And so that's just a little bit of an insight as to what my family life was like. I went to 11 primary schools, two high schools. We were always moving around because my mother couldn't afford the rent when it went up. Um, so we were, we yeah, we were, um, we struggled. We struggled financially. There was never any money. Um, but I was determined when I was a teenager that I was going to finish school. No one finished school in my family, but I was, I was determined that I would, I would push through. And I did that. Your dad was abusive, uh, but primarily verbally abusive, and uh, that verbal abuse can yes. uh, can have its own scars, can't yes, it? Absolutely. Um, some of those uh, alternative boyfriends of your mother they were sexually abusive, yes. but but stay with the verbally abusive for a few moments. Yes. Uh, you said your dad was an alcoholic. and uh, he would fly off the handle at the drop of a hat. Very, very difficult to deal with as a child and your own perceptions of what a wonderful dad might look like can be easily destroyed by those sorts of actions. Yes, that's right. And so that the verbal, the verbal abuse was sometimes worse than the physical abuse. Um, so the verbal abuse, it would, you're no hoper, you're stupid, you'll never amount to anything, you're, you're, you're useless. Your useless was one of the, one of the, main phrases he used to say to us you're useless what are you doing you're stupid are, are you are, do you have a brain in your head they were the they were the words that would come and they would scream at me all the time throughout my childhood and there wasn't much semblance of christian faith or even celebration because you didn't ever celebrate christmas or easter Mm. Uh, there was no birthday parties. Uh, there was a little bit of, you know, because sometimes when we talk about abuse, we often talk about neglect. And, of course, if there's not a Christian bone in your family, uh, somehow or other you miss out on some of the affirming things that come with the celebration of those holidays. That's right, exactly. So they were exactly right. And I, I remember having my first birthday party when I met my husband, um, we were boyfriend and girlfriend at the time. I was 18, and he wanted to celebrate my, my 18th. I'm going, are you really? How do you do that? How do you celebrate a birthday? 
So we celebrated my birthday and I realised how much I'd missed out on all those years. None of us celebrated anything. My, neither did my brother and my sister. We just did not. We, my parents just did not do that. It was not. It was not the. It was not a common theme in our home to celebrate, to say sorry, and to champion one another on and say you can do this. You are amazing. When your parents' relationship broke, uh, your father kicked your mother out, and uh, she then was missing you and there was a way that there was a reconnection in there because in her desperation, she wanted her children back. How did that all work? That's right. So my mum was having a nervous breakdown and my father wouldn't, wasn't coping. So my mum left one day and didn't come back. And I, remem- I remember the picture of her, um, her packing her suitcase. And so we and my, my parents and my father ended up selling the house. We were living in Aspley here in Brisbane at the time. And we went and bought another house in Northgate here uh, in Brisbane. And he, that, was the, that was the house. There was two houses, I would say. They were houses of horrors. That was the first house of horror. Um, I was six, my brother was three, and my sister was two at the time. And that, they, were the, they were the couple of years where my father would just rant. And he, he was always drunk. He never came home sober. We had a nanny, her name was Tracy, and Tracy would look after my sister while my brother and I, I'd take my brother off to kindy and I went into school. And so those, those young years were traumatic because I remember having to do everything for my brother and sister right up until they were 12 and 13 um, because my parents just weren't there. And one day my mother came back to get us because she was missing us. And that was the day that literally changed our life forever. She was living with a man who was a pedophile. And there was a series of what you call broken men. And I wonder if you've got any thoughts about women who are coming from broken relationships and, as you say, going through something of a breakdown and this thought that, you know, I can't be without a man. Uh, So I take the first one that comes along and they don't always end up being good choices and she had a number of those but in that time uh, you were introduced uh, to someone who uh, was a pedophile yes that's right and so I would say to women I would say to those women please stop and think about what you're about to do because if you're about to enter into a relationship with a man who is abusive who is controlling and who speaks to you like you are dirt I would say, please stop and think about your future. Think about your children's future. They deserve something better and you do too. You are highly valued and you deserve to live a life of freedom, not a life of being controlled. And the sexual abuse, uh, I imagine, for you didn't start with uh, uh, absolute sexual physical abuse, uh, but you began to discover pornography in the house. That's right. And there was a lot of pornography in the house. So we went, so the day my mother came to get us, we got into the car and we were introduced to this man called John. His name's in my book. And we got to his house and it all seemed very fine for the first couple of days. But then I was discovering these pornographic books all over the home. And I remember just one day, I was nearly eight years of age, so I just sat down and started looking at them and reading them and felt sick, felt, oh, my goodness, is that normal? Is that, that's just disgusting. And I, I remember keeping it to myself because John was one of those men that was quite fearful. He, he was manipulative he would he would look at you in a way where he had control over you and i was scared to tell anybody about it and you are scared to tell people about it and so you therefore go into a sort of a hiding of your pain yes um how do you deal with things when you're on your own you're not telling anyone about it i know you loved art and uh, you felt that there was a, a little bit of an escape uh, in your art, uh, do those things are they still relevant? Uh, you know, when we talk about Christian 
ways of dealing with these things. Uh, there's going to be all sorts of ways that you mm. will be able to express yourself in a certain way that's really you. Uh, is is that therapeutic? Is that, you know, a, a way to, you know, bring your pain out even though you're actually hiding your pain? Absolutely. Art was a big thing in my life. In my childhood, I couldn't tell anybody when I was younger, so I would draw, I would I would paint, I would show pictures of how angry I was, how how upset I was, how lonely I was. I was a very lonely kid even though I was looking after my brother and my sister. Um and but as I started to heal in my 20s and my 30s, I my art my art was different. My art got brighter and, and it was free art. It was expressive art, but it was more colourful. It wasn't as gloomy. It wasn't as dark. And my art has always been an indicator of how healed I am. And music played a big part in my life as well. So when I was, when I was going through my childhood trauma, I was, I was always attracted to the, the, the somber music, the, the, dark music but as I began to heal oh, I was listening to so much fantastic stuff being set free that my my strength is in Christ and um, and I am who I am today because of Jesus. Where do you think is the starting point when you're carrying all of that pain and we mentioned that you came to Christ uh, with you know the boss's wife who shared his her, her uh, testimony and uh, and shared her faith with you. Where did your journey to freedom and wholeness begin? Uh, I mean, is it just something that you're always looking for some sort of way out, or is there a starting point? Absolutely, there is a starting point, and that's exciting. I get excited talking about this. There is a starting point, and it starts with our vulnerability. Vulnerability is the doorway to our healing. To share your weakness is to make yourself vulnerable and to make yourself vulnerable is to show your strength. We often put we often say vulnerable vulnerability in society is a dirty word, you know, we don't want to air our dirty laundry out there so people can see what's going on on the inside. Well, that is that is a fear tactic because vulnerability is actually a God-given strength that we have. If we can if we can get the courage to step in and step out and share our pain with someone safe then that is the start of our healing journey. And if they happen to understand something of the healing that can come through the forgiveness we talk about in our Christian faith and uh, some other dimensions that we might be able to get into after the news, uh, then that in itself is, you know, you're on the right trajectory. We're going to continue our conversation after the news. Our talkback line is open. You might have your own insight you might want to connect with our special guest. Her name is Nikki Rucci. Nikki is a pastor, a leader, a communicator. For more than three decades, her new book is called Invisible Scars, My Story of Restoration from Childhood Abuse and Trauma. Before we go any further, Nikki, why don't we take a call from a listener? Tracy is in Bunbury in Western Australia. Hi, Tracy. Welcome along. Hi, Neil. Hi, Nikki. How are we? Very good. What are your thoughts, Tracy? Um, well, I actually just wanted to ring um, uh, personally and thank Nikki um, for sharing her vulnerability in a nationwide um, forum. Um, I I just I really felt compelled to um, really stick to that note of encouraging the strength in vulnerability, um, to, so that we can use that strength to go and speak to a safe person. Awesome. Um, yeah, it's just, it's so lovely what you're doing. And um, I, I thank God for people like you who are brave enough to um, speak out in such a public way and such a big public way. There's a lot of listeners, so thank you. Thank you. Strength in vulnerability. Take us into where this comes from because you've processed these sorts of things. Yes. Uh, Tracy's raised a beautiful point here. Yes, that's right. Um, it's interesting when I started to step into my pain and speak about what had gone through what had gone through um, in my childhood and in my uh, early teenage years, I honestly didn't think there was strength in being vulnerable. I thought it was a weakness. But as I started to begin to talk to someone in a safe, in a safe space and in a, a safe person at that time, I actually felt strong. I felt for the very first yeah. time in my life that, wow, I'm actually strong to share my story. 
and that yeah. that is what happened with me. And I st- felt stronger every time I would w- would open up and talk about something else. I felt stronger. Yeah. Tracy, anything further to add? Um, just keep going. Thank you so much. <laughs> oh, thank you. Tracy in Bunbury in WA, thank you so awesome. much for your call. one 316 to join in our conversation today. Let me take you into something which for some will be quite controversial because we did talk about local churches in the first part of our conversation, but local churches as a place of healing, and some will say in the next breath, but wait a minute, Not all churches are a safe place. Not all churches, because if someone's got their own experience of sexual abuse at the hands of institutional church, uh, then they won't have that impression. But if we were making a broad brushstroke across local churches, uh, even though you might not find uh, uh, a Nicky Rucci in each of those churches, you will find the sorts of principles we're talking about for that journey to wholeness. What are your thoughts here about local churches and how some people will think that they are a good safe space and an opportunity to recovery and some not? Absolutely. I think there's two, two things that would tell me that it was a safe place. Someone that can listen and listen. I mean, not just hear, but listen, because hearing is passive. Listening is active. We act upon our listening and we learn from the person talking about their experiences. We learn them. We learn who they are and what they have gone through. So listening is imperative to the person who needs to be heard. Uh, The second one is it must be a safe place. And I understand we have had some awful experiences Awful people have had awful experiences of what they've had taken place in their life through church life, Um, and that makes me very angry and very sad, right? Because that should not take place in a church. But there is someone that can, there is always someone, there's always that one person that they can find or you can find um, to talk to. We'll take another call in a moment, uh, but just to dwell on this for a moment, because if you were planning to turn up to a local church, uh, you heard Nikki on the radio and she said church can be a safe place and you might find your opportunity to be courageously vulnerable. Uh, Who would you look for? Because I imagine you're going to be looking for perhaps uh, if if you're a woman, a mature woman who uh, is part of maybe some leadership role in church, who's probably got an idea about, you know, an understanding of a biblical way of getting onto a, you know, a pathway to wholeness. Who do you, how do you think of of people who would look for a particular person in their local church? Mm, I think those people look for you because someone found me, someone looked to, looked and found me in my most um, in my most vulnerable state. They came alongside of me, and I think that is the key. Um, people in the churches, there's always someone. If you're a woman, there's always another woman that is looking for someone um, like me that can say, "Hey, let me help you." It's not, I don't think sometimes when you walk into a church, it's not about us looking for someone to help us. It's always about them looking to you to help you. And it's probably going to be a mature woman. Absolutely. Uh, probably not going to be a younger woman no. who might not have been able to process these things and might already be on a journey, but it might be early in a journey of recovery and a, a movement to wholeness. Taking calls, 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Wes on the Gold Coast in Queensland. Hi, Wes. Welcome. Good day, Nikki. Hi. Um, First of all, thanks for uh, sharing your story, Nikki. It's, uh, it's very profound, and um, it actually brings a tear to my eye because I'm a father of young children, and um, you know when I looked into their eyes, they were just tearing me apart. And if I knew anything was going on with them, so uh, yeah, thanks for um, for sharing your story. But um, I would like to see um, uh, awareness raised, you know, um, through the church, absolutely, at a federal level. You know, we've got so many. Um, we've got a day for everyone. This is out these days, you know, and. Why don't we have a um, a child sexual abuse month or a child you know awareness month or a day or just something that we we get together as a as a church as a community and even as a country and really raise awareness for this matter because it's 
Wes, uh, not especially clear on this call, but I think uh, listeners will have picked up. You're saying, why isn't there some sort of recognition Sunday or a recognition month that can happen in churches? And these things could be brought to the fore. Uh, thoughts from you, Nikki? Absolutely. I think we need, absolutely, and I love the question, Wes, um, and I love what you're saying. I think we do need to bring awareness. We have these churches with lots of people in them, and I can guarantee you that we are sitting next to someone who has experienced abuse in their life or maybe experienced abuse right now in their in their immediate life. So we need to be aware and we need to bring awareness. I'm not quite sure how we can do that, but now you've got me thinking and I'm going to try and do something about it. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, over the years I might well have spoken to people uh, who actually yes. do promote this sort of thing. Yes. And interestingly, you don't have to wait until there's a national no. movement. No. You could do this in your own church. Absolutely. Uh, you could suggest this to your pastor and perhaps have a special Sunday and you'll find Find someone in your church who's happy to share vulnerably their own story yes. and then there may be an opportunity for someone in maturity and leadership to be able to be able to bring some ministry beyond that. So Absolutely. you don't have to wait. It can actually happen in your own local church. But yes, if there is something of a, a more national movement, um, uh, I'm just not on the top of my head. I can't think of one at the moment. So maybe there is room there for uh, some people to get together. Maybe you could be the, the gathering point, Nikki. We'll, <laughs> I'll give your address uh, when, we, uh, when we get to the end of our conversation. Uh, Wes, thank you so much for yes. your contribution to the conversation today. today. 1-800-316-316. This lack of awareness of sexual mm. abuse in the local church, yes. um, you know, apart from actually having a special day where you do make everyone aware, you're probably going to be having it as one of those things that's swept under the carpet. Sometimes I think um, bringing awareness, like I know for our church in particular, we have, we have services on a Sunday where we bring testimonies. And sometimes those testimonies will involve what we've gone through and how we've come through that. And that is one that is one way of bringing awareness um, into our service. I think also being 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 understanding and aware that the person you are sitting next to may be struggling with something, and it's not left up to the pastors. It's left. It's actually everyone's responsibility. Sitting there on a Sunday and having a great time in church, but hey, this person sitting beside you, or this person sitting in front of you, or behind you, could be going through the most horrific season of their life. Just being aware of how they might be feeling brings awareness. The road to healing. You identify this in your own story. It's not easy. And uh, we talked a little earlier. It's not about saying a prayer and a switch is flicked and everything is rosy. You describe the road to recovery as being messy and confusing and painful. Uh, how do you relate that? Uh, if someone's going through something, uh, it's not nice, not good news to actually hear that the road to recovery might not be easy. No, it's not easy. And I think that's why some we have a lot of people who don't open up about their pain. But yes, my my road to recovery was definitely messy. It what I was I would throw my tantrums. I would go, I'm not dealing with this. this. This is too hard. It's too painful. I don't want to talk about this anymore. I would slam doors in my, I went to a council one day and she started to open me up and I got up and I walked out the door and slammed the door and I said, I'm done. I'm not dealing with this anymore. It can be painful. Um, what made me keep going was the trusted few I had praying for me, encouraging me that I was going to get through this. And I'm, I'm getting emotional now. It wasn't for those trusted few. I think I probably wouldn't have kept going. I needed people in my life, in my early 20s and my early 30s, to tell me, you can do this, Nikki. You can get through this and we're going to stand with you. We're going to walk with you until you get through this. And I thank those people. And that's how I got through it. But it was messy and it was tough. It was hard because all the, all the childhood abuse came back in my face all the time. But I was determined to push through and overcome. Let's come back to one of those key principles in recovery. And uh, that comes around this word forgiveness. Uh, it's not something that is prevalent in 
the psychological textbooks, as I'm aware, but it is very prevalent in our understanding of what happens in life if you're going to survive and you're going to thrive before God and uh, be free from some of those hurts and pain. How do you think of forgiveness? Oh, forgiveness Forgiveness is hard. So when you ha- when you have we- look, we're always going to have someone to forgive in our life. But when I had to face the facts that I needed to forgive the perpetrators and um, the people in my life that literally stole my childhood, they took my childhood away, opened me opened my eyes up at the age of seven, five, six, and seven to a world of depravity. Um, I knew I needed to forgive. I didn't, and I came to that understanding where I didn't want to hang on to the anger and the resentment and the bitterness. It was eating me away. Um, and I remember someone saying this to me about 20, 30 years ago. I was, I was still learning. I was still learning about God and I was still being, in my young years, of being discipled from incredible people in my world. And they said, Nicola, don't let your bitterness become a life sentence. And very true. And I, I remember I was about 18, 19 at that time. And I thought to myself, you know what? I don't want to be locked up in a prison of bitterness for the rest of my life, taking it out on everybody that came my way. I wanted to live my life different. But how do I do that? I needed to forgive. So when you're carrying the shame, the rejection, the sadness of being the victim of childhood sexual abuse, uh, you might be looking at the perpetrator who might still be alive and might be still living in close proximity and they look like they're happy. You're the one who's lost your happiness. You're the one who's lost, as you called it, you know, thieves robbing you of your whole life. So what what forgiveness does here? Let me in on this because the forgiveness yes. that you have for a perpetrator doesn't really do anything to the perpetrator, but it does everything for you. Absolutely. Forgiveness sets you free. It may not set him free, but it sets you free. And as you surrender him, as I, well, I surrendered him and, and other people in my world and my life, I was handing back the control to God. Because when we stay locked up in bitterness and we stay unforgiving, we are, we are, we are keeping that person control they are controlling every part of your life and I didn't know that and I realized that hang on I don't want him controlling my life I don't want him having anything to do with my my heart and that's what he was doing so as I started to release and surrender him to God I felt free I felt he what I felt like God was now going to be able to control this guy he was in God's hands not my hands and no doubt that's not a single prayer either. No, uh, no doubt. No. Uh, when those feelings, uh, when that shame comes back to the surface and uh, it's ruining your day, uh, I imagine that forgiveness has to be in some sense front of mind. And uh, while it might not be easy, it's going to be the necessary thing that gives you some hope for the future. Absolutely. And also forgiveness doesn't validate the one who hurt us. It doesn't justify the hurt for actions. Forgiveness saves us. And so I, I needed to understand the full power of forgiveness in my life. I needed to understand that because I was angry. I was resentful. I was saying this man took away my innocence. He took away my young life. I didn't enjoy my young life. I didn't play with dolls. I didn't, I didn't enjoy playing at the playground. Everything was taken from me. And so the moment I stepped in and said, I surrender, that's when God started to come into my life and say, wow, that is, that is the best step and the best thing you've ever said because now I could forgive. Once I surrendered, I was taking my forgiveness on a journey and it was a journey. And some practical things getting towards the end of our conversation, the sorts of things that you might do in practice that help to solidify uh, the healing journey. Uh, I mean, you, you talk about things like journaling, but there's plenty of things you've got on your list. Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing is uh, your healing journey takes time. It is not a 
sprint to the finish line. It is a walk through, day by day, step by step. So I often say to people, slow down, take your time. You don't have to. You don't have to run that mountain. We go at one step at a time. And one of the big things in my life was journaling. I learned how to journal as a new Christian at eighteen. The lady that took me and taught me how to pray through the scriptures, I also had a notebook. <laughs> and she said, right, now we're going to be quiet. And she taught me to write down what was going on in my heart. And then she taught me how to listen to the small, still voice of God, of the Holy Spirit. And I would write, literally write down. And before I would leave her home, it was always an hour, I'd walk out of her door, out of her home, I'd have two pages written down, what was going on in my heart and what the Holy Spirit was talking to me about. The other thing is um, find a happy place. I love the beach. I love walking along the beach whenever I can. I go up to the Mooloola Bar. Mooloola Bar is my favorite beach. Oh, and Calandra is good too. Um, But I love walking along the beach. And just even if I'm not in the water, just looking at the water is just therapeutic. Going and sitting somewhere where you are happy and you can replenish and be refreshed with your Bible, talking to God. Sometimes we don't need. Sometimes we can sit and just take it all in, right? But sometimes I do take my Bible and I do talk to God. That's my happy place. Let me squeeze in another call. Sue is in Kingston, in Tasmania. Hi, Sue. Welcome. Hello, Neil, and hi, Nikki. Hi, Sue. And I just want to thank you so much for this really honest conversation you're having with Neil so that those of us who are listening can take on board what you're saying. And one thing you said was sharing the pain with someone safe produces healing. Yes. And it reminded me of sharing for the first time as a young woman with a wonderful counsellor who said, Sue, you need to learn to place a value on yourself because I was an absolute walkover. I was a doormat. I'd been seriously disempowered as a child. And your journey is not dissimilar to my own in many respects, but one of the sadnesses is that when we live in uh, small communities, it makes the ability to find someone safe to to open up to mm. all the more difficult yeah and there's such a huge need for the churches to to really step up and um, generate some healing ministries so that people who are you know damaged and broken and wounded can feel safe Absolutely. and be healed and restored because the more godless our country becomes, the more there will be broken people. Yes, absolutely. Nikki, uh, your thoughts here, because interesting, isn't it? And I really, really appreciate uh, Sue calling in here uh, and talking about churches and talking about the fact that this is actually not going away. Uh, There may actually be a whole lot more of what we're talking about today uh, perpetuating in every community. And so really you can't have a head in the sand. You've got to as a even a part of church life, whether you're the pastor or whether you're just a concerned woman or man, uh, somehow or other, you have to generate some opportunity, generating a safe space. Absolutely. And I do believe, Sue, that it's going to take someone like you and myself to get to to speak to churches and to get them aware of what could be happening in the community. And you're right, when you're living in a small town, it can it can actually be worse for the person because there isn't someone there that they feel safe to talk about because then everybody will know about it. Um, but we need, I think, we need to make we need to start making a lot of the churches aware that this needs to be spoken about. It needs to be it needs to come out into the open. And I think that's why I wrote my book. I thought, you know what? There's so many people that need to hear this, and they need the courage to speak up about what they've gone through. Sue yes. in Kingston, Tasmania, thank you so much for a thank wonderful you. encouragement and contribution. Yeah. Uh, just a minute or two remaining. Um, uh, just quickly, you've got a few other practical ideas. Uh, you mentioned when you're having a prayer time, have a journal. 
write down what you're going through, the feelings that you're expressing. You said slow down. Don't make this something that's it's not a sprint. It's a, a slow journey. You also touch on things like nutrition because sometimes you can let your own self-care lapse. What are your thoughts here for people who might be thinking, um, you know, other ways, practical things? People might be hungry for a practical thing to hold on to. Absolutely. So nutrition and exercise are, are imperative to keeping your, I believe, keeping your mental health healthy and your emotional well-being healthy, let alone your physical and your spiritual. Um, I'm a runner. I like to run. I've always been a runner all my life. And that was the other thing other than art. I, art in, in, as I was growing up, I was outside. I would prefer to be outside the classroom than in. I was, I'm dyslexic. Um, so writing a book has been a miracle, actually. Um, thank you to the editors and my daughter who helped me. But um, I love to run. And so that was my way of getting out and getting, helping myself do something that where I wasn't stuck. And so I still run today. I love running, running, you know, 10Ks here and 10Ks there. I try and go for run, you know, a few a few times a week. And also, yes, journaling, um, nutrition. It is important we eat healthy, not just grabbing a, oh, sorry, Hungry Jacks, but not just grabbing a, 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 <laughs> a burger or, a, a, you know, a Big Mac on the run. Um, we need, we need, proper nutrition and that does it does help our mental health as well and Nikki I'll encourage listeners today um, if you want prayer uh, you could call the vision prayer line um, you can also connect with Nikki and uh, you might use her church website uh, to make that connection you'll be able to get a message to Nikki uh, the church website where Nikki is is rivercity.org.au at rivercity.org.au. I'm sure there's a way you can make a contact and uh, send a message and connect with Nikki. Uh, Nikki's book is called Invisible Scars, My Story of Restoration from Childhood Abuse and Trauma. Uh, you'll be able to get that at online booksellers and uh, perhaps even too if you were in connect uh, connection there with Nikki. Um, Nikki, each chapter of your book, you've got a personal reflection in the end. You're asking the sort of pointed questions that your readers can respond to and leading them on their journey of recovery. So uh, it is a a story, and my encouragement is rivercity.org.au to connect with Nikki. The book is called Invisible Scars. Nikki, thank you so much for coming in and sharing your heart with us today on 2020. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.